to look at strange stories or strange events in the Bible, but we're trying to think about how God moves in mysterious ways. We could have called the series Tales of the Unexpected, but I think most of you are possibly too young for that reference, although um, some of you are laughing, so you're showing your age. You see, what we're trying to do in this series is look at what we might call strange events, things we might not understand, and see how God worked. If you wanted a Bible verse to sum up the idea of the series, it could have been Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we're trying to look at pasties and see what is God trying to say from these strange things. So it's not just about bizarre stories. It's not things like, well, let's just look at the talking donkey, like donkey from Shrek, where God has apparently given the donkey the ability to speak, and it says things like, what have I done to you, master, that you beat me three times? Or it's not just about the strange story of the left-handed assassin who managed to smuggle his sword into the king's palace because the guards only frisked him on one side. And he ends up killing the king who, because he's rather fat, he pushes the sword in so deep that the, the sword gets lost in the folds of fat. So it's not just, it's an epic, epic story, by the way. Um, but it's not just bizarre stories we're looking at. Or there is the rather cautionary tale in the New Testament of a rather long sermon. And the teenager who decided it was a great idea to sit on the windowsill of an open third story window. He's rather bored with the sermon and he falls asleep. I believe it was a guy called Paul preaching, <laughs> just saying. And he falls out the window and he breaks his neck. I mean, what a strange thing to fall asleep, be bored in a sermon. I don't know what the message there for us is, to be honest. So this morning, there was meant to be irony there, but maybe it was passed you by. I wanted us to have a quick look at a familiar yet strange story. It is the time when Moses' Moses's face is so shiny that the people of God ask him to cover it up. So if you've got your Bibles with you, the story is taken from Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 to 35. But before we look at the passage, let's just uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, we, at this point in our service, we keep our hearts turned towards you. We have our Bibles open and we have our hearts open. And so as we sit here, Lord, we don't want anything or anyone to distract from how the Spirit of God might seek to apply truth to our hearts. Lord, some of us just might be starting out as followers of Jesus. Others might be veterans in their walk with you. Served you for a long time. Lord, all of us are at different levels, yet we all still need to hear from you. We still need the touch of your Spirit still need the voice of the Spirit to speak to our hearts. 
Lord, you know our needs. You know our situations. You know where we've come from this morning. You know the things that are causing us anxiety. All these things that we bring, we surrender to you now. And rather than being distracted by these things, we are determined this morning to tune in, to listen as you speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus chapter 34, and I've asked um, Claire to come and read to us. So just before she comes to read, let me give you a little bit of context. In the previous chapters in Exodus, Moses has been given the Ten Commandments. He spent 40 days at the top of Mount Sinai, and God has given him the commandments, and he comes down from the mountain to discover Aaron has built a golden calf, and the people are worshiping a golden calf. And God is so unimpressed. And he says, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. Another translation is, you are a stiff-necked people. He says, if I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. I don't know if you've had that experience. I, I get it at school as a teacher when a child has done something horrendous, uh, like not draw a straight line on their margin or something. And, uh, but seriously, when somebody has been unkind to another as a teacher, I sometimes have to walk away because I'm afraid of what I will say. Maybe you have that with your parents, not your parents, your children. <laughs> um, maybe your parents as well if you're a child. <laughs> But God is so unimpressed. If I were to travel with you for a moment, I would destroy you. And Moses prays, God, don't do it. If you're going to wipe them out, you might as well kill me. Blot my name out of your book. And God relents and he answers Moses' prayer. He doesn't destroy them all. And so we come to today's reading in Exodus Chapter 34, and Moses, he goes back up the mountain, back up Mount Sinai, because what he's done is he came down and he was so angry that he smashed the Ten Commandments, he smashed the tablets in a fit of rage at what the people are doing. So he's got to go back up, and he's up there again for another 40 days, and God gives him another copy of the tablets of stone. And this is where we take up the story, as Moses descends from the mountaintop experience for the second time. And Claire's going to read for us. Exodus chapter 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all of the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all of the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all of the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak to him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face 
until he went in to speak with the Lord. Thanks, Claire. The first uh, question I had when I read this was, why is his face shining? What on earth is going on with Moses' Moses's, I don't know how to do it with an apostrophe S. Moses' face. What is the source of his shining brightness? Look at uh, verse 34. It should come up on the screen. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him. And I was struck by that word, whenever. For it implies that there's some regularity here. That there's some repetition involved. That whenever he went in before the Lord. And this is what he does on a regular basis. And it's while he's in the presence, there's a conversation taking place. And so me, not a scholar, it seems quite obvious what the source of his shining face is. You see, it's not his personality because... As we know, Moses has a bit of a temper. Remember, he kills that Egyptian in a a fit of rage. The temper flared up again just a chapter before when he smashes the Ten Commandments that God has given him. So it's probably not his personality. Also, we know about Moses that he's fearful, that he's anxious. After he killed the Egyptian, he ran away in fear despite the authority he had in the land. When God meets Moses at the burning bush, he is afraid. When he's asked to go to Pharaoh to tell him to set the people free, he is afraid and he gives excuse after excuse after excuse of why he should not go. So the shining, it doesn't come from Moses. It's not him and his personality that is causing it. It's also not because he's just a great leader, that he has leadership gifts, That he can draw people to himself because he's got great charisma. Actually, it seems to be the opposite. As soon as Moses isn't around, the people seem to sin. When he comes down from the mountain, the people are too afraid to approach him. So it's like, as a leader, he's quite distant and not very approachable. Also, it appears as that he's rather melancholic, wallowing in his own sense of unworthiness. He says in a rather Eeyore fashion in Exodus 3.11, Oh, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? So what is the source of this shining? It's not Moses. It's God. Look at verse 29. When Moses comes down, came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant. And here's the reason, it's shown right there. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. That's it. That's the source of his radiance. That's the source of his transformation. If you were to turn back in your Bible a page to chapter 33, we find Moses pleading with God, asking for God's presence to go with him. Verse 18, he says, this is Moses speaking to God. He says, now show me your glory. 
And Moses has this desire. His quest, his goal, is to be in the holy presence of God. The Bible in one place says that Moses spoke with God as though it was face to face, like God spoke to no other man. That Moses had this personal relationship with the Lord, that he would go in and speak to him. And as a result, Moses took on some of the radiance, some of the shine, some of the glow, some of the character of God himself. You know, what's fascinating to me is that the first time Moses went up and got the Ten Commandments, he spent 40 days there. And he comes down and there is no record of his face shining. But this time, there is. What is the change here? Why the first time was there no record of it? And why now is his face shining? Well, the first time he went up and he received the law. He received instruction. But the second time, he receives a revelation of who God is. Verse 6 of chapter 34. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And what changes here is that Moses is not just getting instruction, he is learning who God is. It's a fresh revelation. Yes, he'd learned about God before. He met God at the burning bush and God revealed who he was with the words, I am. But this is a fresh revelation of the nature of the living God. And a question I asked myself when I was thinking about this is, do I expect to meet with him? When we come to church on a Sunday morning, do we wake up and say to ourselves, wow, hallelujah, we're going to meet with a divine living God. Was that what was on your mind when you got up this morning? If I'm honest, I come thinking about so many other things. My mind actually can be on everything but God. And I forget that God, the living presence of God, is here. I forget that I should be coming to church expecting to have a transformative encounter with God. I don't just want to come to church like it's some sort of religious duty that I'm going to kind of take off and then I'm going to go on with my day. I want to come to church to meet with Christ because he is here. And then I was thinking about my own quiet time. And my wife says I go on about this quite a lot. She might be true. Do we expect God to meet us in our quiet time or as the New Testament likes to say our prayer closet? When you have that daily time with God? 
Do you expect to meet God regularly in your devotions? And this chapter, chapter 34, is an invitation to meet with God. If you've got your Bible, look at verse 2 of chapter 34. God is speaking and he says to Moses, Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. God is saying, be ready. What God is saying is, make plans, make arrangements. The root idea of the word in the original is to arrange, to organize, to determine. And what it gives us is a picture of a person who's in the midst of a busy life, deliberately, intentionally planning to meet with God. And Moses, I think, was kind of busy. He had a very heavy responsibility. He was the leader of a nation, in charge of the life of thousands, possibly millions. His life was busy. His life was full. He had demands after demands after demands on his time and on his schedule. One time his father-in-law comes to him to visit, and his father-in-law is worried and concerned about Moses, and he says, and this is the New Living Translation, Exodus 18, 18, he says to Moses, you're going to wear yourself out. This job, it's too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. And even when Moses gets people to help him, he is still going to be busy. But God is saying to him, be ready. Make arrangements. Deliberately plan to spend time with me. And that is the only hope for us. For you and me to meet with God, the only hope is if we deliberately plan it. You know, there are such pressures on our everyday life. Corrie ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And there's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the same effect. They cut us off from our connection to God, to other people, and to our own soul. And we are not immune to this peril. We've got so many things to do. So many friends to talk to. So many WhatsApp messages to answer. So many notifications to check. And God would say, no. Be ready. Make arrangements. Deliberately plan. Then notice there, second word in this invitation. He says, be ready. And now he says, come up. We're still in verse 2. Sorry, we're still in verse 2. And when looking at this idea, we're looking at verse 3 as well. They combine it. It says, no one is to come with you. Or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. He's saying, come up. Come up alone. 
What he's saying is be ready to come up and be on your own with me. Israel, this nation, thousands of people wanting his time and attention. And God says, no, come up. Get alone with me. No distractions. No people to hassle you. No flocks, no herds to worry about. No androids, no apples, nothing. Just you and me. Just you and me and God's word. He says, be ready. Make arrangements. Come up, get alone. And then the third idea in verse 2, still there, it says, and present yourself to me. I was thinking about this and I was thinking, okay, so he's at the bottom of the mountain, he's to get ready, he's to come up, and he's then to go and present himself to God. And I was thinking, God, I bet you that's a bit of a long walk to get to the top of Mount Sinai. And I googled it and it says, if you're relatively fit, it's an hour and a half, and so I reckon it could take me two and a half hours to get up. And then I was thinking, God, Moses probably didn't have his, his app because he's left that behind, you know, and, and he maybe didn't have the pathway to go up. So maybe it took him a f- good few hours to get up to the top of the mountain. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, it takes me quite a while to get through to God sometimes. There's sometimes, and you might see me and worship's going on and I'm just kind of standing. I might have had a bad week or just a very... Blah, week, a nothing week. When actually my priorities have been all wrong. I've not spent time with God at all that week, or very little time. I've not made God my priority. And it can take me until the last song, if I'm lucky, to get myself into the right place of worship. A famous Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShay, he used to say, that he had to spend a large part of his time in prayer in getting his heart in tune for prayer. And if you and I are going to meet with God in any kind of authentic way, then we must get our hearts in tune with his. But we think, oh, we'll come to church, boom, and it's going to happen. But it doesn't. We have to take time to present ourselves to God. And this is the gracious invitation, the gracious challenge, the gracious kick up the rear. Be ready. Come up and present yourself to me. And verse 4 tells us that Moses accepts the invitation. We're told that Moses rose up, up early in the morning and he went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. Are you going to accept the invitation? Are you going to make arrangements, make plans to get alone and come to God? For it's when Moses is in the presence of God that he is changed. That is the source of his shining. When he comes back down, he is different. 
to when he went up. When we leave on a Sunday, are we any different? Henry Nguyen said, without solitude, and by that he means being alone with God, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. He says, we do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. Now, while that is quite blunt, it is true. If you do not set aside time to be alone with God, your relationship will wither on the vine. It makes sense to me. It makes sense with every relationship I have. If I don't spend time with my wife, if we're never alone, our marriage will suffer. Eventually it will die. And the same is true of our relationship with God. The same is true of what will happen to our soul. There's a saying in parenting literature, to a child, love is spelt T-I-M-E, time. And that's the truth. If you love God the Father, if you want a living, thriving relationship with him, where you can experience his presence, where you can be transformed, where your face can shine and people can see the living Jesus in you, then you need to carve out time to be alone with him. It's quite simple, really. Maybe a bit of a shock, the worship team could come back up. I'm not quite finished, but maybe they could come back up. So let us just do what I'm saying right now. Let's just take a minute or two to be quiet, to be still, to consciously enter in to the presence of God. If I could recommend you sit back nice and straight in your seat if you can. Try and have your feet flat on the floor if you can. And it can be helpful just to have your hands open, ready to receive. Maybe you're struggling with that and you want to just hold your hands tight. So maybe just do that. At first, hold them tight and then try and release your hands and open them out to God. Just have your eyes closed. For the only way we can learn to practice the presence of God is to do it. And the key word is practice. I don't know how often I try and I fall asleep. Or my head goes off to how bad are Manchester United or something else. But we just keep coming back and practicing.
where we sit quietly before God, doing nothing, just fixing our will, our minds on Him, seeking to still our bodies. where we try and calm all physical activity, calm all mental activity, where if we just drift away, we just say, Lord, I I come back, come. And we wait and we listen. We wait for a sense of his presence. He is here. He is here by His Holy Spirit. He is here and wants to move among us. His presence is always with us. But it's us that need to enter in. And in the quietness we can be drawn from the quietness and the stillness that we put ourselves in. We can be drawn into his presence. Because our minds are busy, it can take us time. But as we wait, and we try and stay, and we have to return again and again to His presence, His presence transforms us. Stay in His presence. Isaiah 60 verse 5 says Then you will look and be radiant Your heart will throb and swell with joy That is his desire for you That your heart will be filled with the joy 
you will be transformed and changed. Come into his presence. Open the eyes of our heart. Let us see you. this morning and every morning is to be ready come on up come to his presence and present yourself to the Lord for Moses his face stopped shining But with Jesus, we are promised that he will never leave us, never forsake us. And that our faces, because his presence never goes, can shine. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning. Be ready. Come up. Present yourself to the Lord.